Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 39, Misadventure, Mayhem and Murder. Sir Gawain and Sir Hector grinned at each other as the unknown knight prepared to face them. Here, at last, was adventure. Hector asked Gawain if he could have the honour of taking the knight on. Gawain, though, pulled rank on the younger man. He told Hector that he, Gawain, was challenged the knight, but Hector was quite welcome to have a go, if by some terrible misfortune he was to die. Hector reluctantly but graciously agreed, and Gawain lifted his lance, smiling in anticipation. Both knights charged, and both blows were forceful. Both men fell from their horses. Gawain, full of valour and adrenaline, drew his sword and jumped up. Fight on, sir, or I shall slay you, he shouted. The response was delivered very weakly. I fear I am already slain. Please take me to a holy place so that I can be buried. I know of an abbey near here. Gawain nodded and looked down. The knight had most of Gawain's spear sticking out of his side and was clearly in a bad way. Gawain had a very uneasy feeling. He couldn't quite put his finger on what was bothering him, and he put it out of his mind. He and Hector rode towards the abbey, which lay in the next valley. The dying knight, struggling to stay conscious, sat on Gawain's horse in front of the victorious knight. Another of the questing knights was very far from achieving the quest. In his case, though, it wasn't previous sins or bad deeds that were stopping him being successful. No, Sir Belanger Le Beurs was preventing his own success by heading entirely in the wrong direction. Instead of riding around looking for omens, he had headed straight out of Camelot and gone towards Cornwall. It had taken him quite a while to get there, but he arrived with deadly purpose. Sir Belanger was the grandson of King Mark's brother. As we know, King Mark had treacherously killed Boudouin. Then he had had Boudouin's son, Alessander, murdered. Then he had sent assassins to slay the noble Sir Tristram with a poisoned spear. Sir Belanger was intent upon avenging his family. After all this time had passed, King Mark thought he was safe. His paranoia had waned and he was ruling over Cornwall in his usual erratic way. He was completely taken by surprise when his great-nephew rode into court. The King of Cornwall was an old man by now and was completely unable to put up a fight. Belanger killed him almost without trying. Then, for good measure, he killed everyone else who had had anything to do with the death of the great Sir Tristram. A dozen or so slayings later, he left Cornwall satisfied with his detour from the quest. Gawain, Hector and the dying knight arrived at the abbey. The doors were opened and the poor knight was lain down so that he could be as comfortable as possible. The knight asked for a holy man to come to him so that he could confess his sins before dying, giving him a better chance of going to heaven. As he did so, he wept. Then he turned his still-helmeted head towards Gawain and asked him to remove the spear from his side. Gawain, also still wearing his helmet, nodded, but his uneasy feeling grew as he did so. He bent down towards the knight and asked the question he should have asked much earlier. Who are you, and who do you serve? I am from the household of the great King Arthur, breathed the dying knight. I am a knight of the round table. I set out on the quest for the Holy Grail, but now I will not achieve it. You have killed me, but it was obviously the will of God, and I hereby forgive you. My father is King Uriens, and my name is Sir Uwain. Gawain dropped to his knees in wretchedness. 
Oh, God, Uain, my heart is broken. Sir, whispered the dying knight, who are you? I am Gawain, your cousin. Then my death is not so bad if I have received it from one of the greatest of all knights. When you return from the quest, and I think you will return, remember me to our colleagues and friends. Ask them to pray for me. Hector held Sir Uwen. Gawain removed his cousin's helmet and then his own. Eyes filled with tears and heart filled with the misery, he pulled the spear from his cousin's side. As he did so, Sir Uwen, noble knight of the round table and nephew of King Arthur himself, died in the arms of Sir Hector. Gawain, heartbroken and desperate, took the body to the abbey church. Hector, almost as disconsolate, wrapped Uwain in a cloth of finest silk. Then, with the help of the monks, they buried him in front of the high altar. A magnificent tombstone was placed above him, which let everyone know who the dead knight was and who had killed him. When all this was done, Gawain and Hector rode away from the abbey in silence. As he cantered towards his destination, Sir Gawain of Orkney was lost in contemplation. He thought about his beloved cousin, Uwain, and how he had killed him. He knew it had been an accident, he hadn't known who he was, but he had killed him. He thought of his great friend Lancelot, and wondered how he was faring. He wondered why his own fate was so bad. He knew he was a good man, a pious man, a loyal man, a defender of women and a valiant fighter. He considered his actions. Had he been wrong to kill King Pellinore? Had he misjudged his actions when he and his brothers confronted Sir Lamorak? He thought of his brothers. He had only seen Gareth since the start of the quest. Where was Geheris? Where was Agravain? Were they still alive? Then he thought of Mordred and had a bad feeling. Deep down he knew that Mordred was no good. Maybe his youngest brother had something to do with his own dark destiny. As it happens, Sir Mordred and Sir Agravain had set out on the quest together. Although Mordred was younger, the strength of his personality made him a leader. Agravain had always been a mighty warrior, hard as nails. However, as we know, he was prone to being moody, bitter and sneaky. Something about Mordred appealed to him and he was happy to be led. But Agravain was being led down a dark path. He had already watched Mordred murder Lamorak and it hadn't really caused him any concern. The second and fifth of the Orkney brothers rode around seemingly aimlessly. Before too long, they encountered a fellow quester. As they entered a forest, Sir Dinadan approached them, his usually smiling face creased in a frown. He had heard about the death of his great friend Sir Tristram, and his usual merriment had entirely deserted him. Aha, said Dinadan, it is the slayers of my friend Sir Lamorak. Not entirely a fair fight, was it, my good men? A bit sly, methinks. Neither Mordred nor Agravain could tell whether the comedy knight was joking. Mordred decided he wasn't bothered whether it was a joke or not, and he sneered at Dinadan. Not sensible, he said menacingly. I suggest you think very carefully before you say things like that, unless you want what that traitor knight got. Dinadan began to answer with a smile, but then the seriousness of his situation dawned on him, he realised he was looking at one Orkney brother, not two. Agravain had made his way quietly around to his rear. Dinadan turned his mount around to look at the elder brother. Agravain said nothing, merely raising his eyebrows. Horrified, Dinadan understood exactly what was happening. He raised his sword and made to wheel his horse around to face Mordred, but it was too late. 
Mordred's spear was already on its way. An instant later, it was buried in Dinadan's back, and he fell dead to the ground. The brothers turned away, leaving their victim in the forest undergrowth. They had previously vowed revenge on Dinadan, and the quest had given them the chance to carry it out. Mordred had planned the assault and kept tracks on Dinadan's movements since the beginning of the quest. Nobody else, not even Agravain, knew it, but it had not been a chance encounter. It had been planned meticulously. Eventually, poor Dinadan was found by Sir Palamedes, who took him back to Camelot to be buried. Sir Gawain and Sir Hector no longer wished for adventure. The death of one of Arthur's most noble knights at the hand of his cousin had robbed them of any ambition. They realised, though, that it was even more vital for both of them that they learnt the meanings of the dreams and their strange apparition which they had seen in the church the previous night. They made their way to the hermitage to which they had previously been directed. The hermit, whose name was Nacian, came out to meet them. The two knights told him why they were there and he led them to a chapel. Sir Gawain sat down with a heavy heart. He told the hermit what he had done to poor Sir Uwain and moaned that he must be cursed. Then he told the hermit about his dream. Sir Hector followed this with the tale of his own night vision and then they both described the red-clothed hand and forearm with its bridle and candle. Both men begged Nacian to tell them what it all meant and what they must do. The hermit spoke softly but with assurance. Sir Gawain... I will speak of your dream first. The hayrack you saw is the round table of our Lord King Arthur. The spaces at the hayrack are the sieges of the table. The meadow represents the humility, patience and chivalry of that noble order. The bulls represent the men who make up the order of the round table. They eat at the hayrack because they get everything they need from being part of that wonderful club. The 147 dappled bulls represent the knights who have sinned. The three white bulls represent the three knights who are free, or nearly free, from sin. They are yoked together because this makes them strong enough to beat temptation and stay free from sin. The bulls declared they needed to go further afield to seek out better pastures, just as you did when all of the knights of the round table decided they must quest for the grail. The knights are wandering now, some getting nowhere, some getting somewhere. Some are failing in their duty to worship God and do the right thing. Some are sticking to their vows. You saw the bulls return, but not all of them. Many didn't make it back. Many of the knights of the round table will not return to Camelot and never see King Arthur's court again. Some of the knights will kill their fellows, just as you have, Sir Gawain of Orkney. In your dream, only one of the white bulls made it back. That means that only one of the knights who will achieve the grail will return to the round table. The other two once they have savoured the food of the Holy Grail, will not be parted from it. The three white bulls, the three who will achieve the Grail, are Sir Galahad, Sir Percival of Wales, and Sir Bors of Gorns. The last part of your dream, in which the bulls fought amongst themselves, I will not interpret for you. I think you can guess what it means. I will not tell you exactly, or you may be wrongly stopped from fulfilling it. Gawain thanked him quietly. The hermit turned to Hector. The throne that you and your brother vacated represents the honour and prestige of the round table, which you discarded when you left. The horses are your pride and arrogance. Lancelot fell from his horse in your dream, which shows he has now forsaken his pride and regained humility, represented by the donkey. 
He wears a hair shirt now, the holly cloak of your dream. Sadly, he came to the spring, which is the holy grail, and found he could not drink. This means he will not achieve the grail. As for you, you stayed on the powerful horse. This means you will always live in sin, and when you reach the home of the great fisher king, he will turn you away. You will return to Camelot without achieving anything from this quest. Hector slumped in his seat and said nothing. Nacian continued, And now for the disembodied hand. The hand and arm represent charity, the bridle is the avoidance of sin, and the candle represents faith in our Lord. The voice you heard told you that the two of you were lacking in all three, and this is the reason why neither of you can hope to achieve the grail. So, what you're saying, said Gawain seriously, is that we have no chance of success and we may as well give up the quest. And if we take your advice, added Hector, we should just return to Camelot now. The knights turned to leave, but the hermit called Gawain back, telling him he needed to change his ways and become more pious in his approach to his knighthood. Gawain agreed that one day he would return alone and talk to the man. With that, the two knights rode off to seek adventure. As before, they found none. They would not achieve the grail, but they knew the names of the three men who would. Galahad and Percival we have already followed as they began their quest. The third of the trio whose success had been prophesied had met up with Lancelot early in his travels, but then continued alone. Like his fellow knights, he hadn't found much in the way of adventure, but being a reasonably level-headed chap, he didn't let it bother him. He knew he'd be given a sign at some point which would set him along the right path. He didn't know if he was destined to succeed in his efforts to find the Holy Grail, but he decided he'd just do the right thing each time he had a choice, and that would be enough to give him a chance. After a few days, he overtook an old man riding on a donkey. The man called over to him and asked him who he was and what he was doing. Bors, who had no reason to lie about it, told him he was a knight of the round table and he was seeking the Holy Grail. The old man gave him a long speech about how anyone who was going to succeed would need to be holy, free of sin and a generally fine upstanding member of the community. Bors nodded seriously and then wholeheartedly agreed with his new friend. Having done this, Bors asked if he was a priest. The old man nodded. Bors decided that this priest might be the sign he was looking for, so he asked him for his advice. Tell me what I need to do. How do I increase my honour as a knight so that I am worthy of the grail? Oh, this is a big thing that you ask, replied the priest. If I help you, then you'd better not slip into sinful ways or we'll both be in trouble. So tell me, sir knight, what is your name and where are you from? I am Sir Bors of Dorns, son of King Bors and cousin to Lancelot of the Lake. The man relaxed. This is good to hear. Your father was one of the most virtuous men I ever knew, and your mother, Queen Evrain, was a wonderful woman. Their marriage was as happy and perfect as any I have known, and you, their offspring, are one of the best and truest of men. Bors frowned a little and replied, Surely it is not who his parents are, but how a man behaves that shows whether he is a good and true man. The priest smiled. Bors felt he'd said the right thing. The two continued to chat until they saw a hermitage. They made their way towards it and entered. The priest told Bors to lodge there for the night, and in the morning he would give him the advice he needed. Bors happily agreed, and the two men ate a supper of bread and water. After they had eaten, the priest turned to his guest and spoke. Sir Bors of Gorns, this food, bread and water, is all you will need to sustain you. 
You must not eat meat or drink wine until you are seated at the table of the Holy Grail. Do you know that I will sit there? asked Bors nervously. Yes, I have sure knowledge that you will be the third of the three who will achieve the Grail. Bors solemnly agreed he would consume nothing but water and then went to sleep on a soft patch of grass outside the chapel. As he dropped off, he wondered what the morning would bring and what advice he would be given. Next time, we'll hear that advice and also a whole lot more about the adventures of Sir Bors of Gorns. Until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.